Hi, everyone. Welcome to Give Me Hope podcast. This is your host, Brittany. And thank you guys all for listening. This is the third episode now. We've had two amazing guests, Wanda and Debbie. If you haven't heard their stories yet, they're very different stories, but very great stories. Um, And they are available on all the platforms. They will stay available on there. So listen whenever you can, when you're driving, cleaning the house, anything like that. You can listen anytime you want. They will stay available for listeners. And for those of you that have been following the podcast, thank you so much. And I'm so glad that we're able to get to the third episode. If you need any help finding the podcast or you need, you know, help explaining someone how to find it, please just let me know and just keep sharing the post, um, the stories, anything that I post in the group. Um, And you can please invite people to the Facebook group, Give Me Hope Podcast, because that's where I post anything about the podcast on for the most part. So invite people on your Facebook friends list. If you don't know how, um, you can just ask me and I'll explain how to. So our guest today um, is Brent. Um, I introduced him on Facebook. Um, If you did not see that, um, you can refer back to that. Um, But Brent um, went to high school with me. And was it middle school or middle school, junior high, middle school (laughs) Um, at Chester County? So we have a lot of classmates in common that might be listening to this. So um, we were in the class of 2008. And the funny thing is, um, me and Brent did not talk in high school, (laughs) as far as I know. Um, You were quiet. I don't think we had any classes together or anything. No. But you seemed pretty quiet and in school for the most part i kind of minded my own business you minded your <laughs> well i like i was i don't know a misfit uh, i was full of angst and a total misfit i don't know why but i just was um and i thought and this is important because it's really funny but i thought brent was just like this popular like preppy like have it all together like you know i'm the perfect life you know kind of person and I was like gothic and totally just not, <laughs> not that. And so I thought, oh, he's just, he has it all together, just like all the popular guys at school. Um, and so we never talked. Um, and I didn't talk to you either. I don't think I made an effort. <laughs> I mean, I was consumed with my friends and you had right. your own friends. And that's just kind own, of how like, things were. <laughs> but yeah. And so why I'm telling you that is um, a few years ago, I think it was 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, Brent spoke at a suicide um, survivor like event um, and he told his story. I had no idea what it was going to be about. Somebody has shared it on my Facebook, um, like a mutual friend, because we were not friends on there. Because remember, I thought he was the popular guy, the jerk, whatever. (laughs) I had no reason to think that because we never talked. (laughs) But I was, you know, nonconformist, whatever. It was so stupid. (laughs) But I seen he was talking. I was like, what's he going to talk about? And he told his story um, and it blew me away. Um, It really made me realize like he had, you know, he had his life was so much more difficult than mine from one years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his life was so much more difficult than mine. Um, and most people that I knew and that we went to school with and you just never know what someone's going through. You never know what someone's life has been like or, you know, you know what they've been through. You don't know that. And just because he seemed like he had it together and he was, you know, his life was just perfect and had everything he needed and wanted. That's not the case. I mean, and it really opened my eyes that, you know, I was judging people um, and everybody has a story. 
And there's a lot more than you think about people. So his story blew me away and we become friends. Um, and I told him about the podcast and he agreed to be on the podcast. I asked him if he would. And um, so he's going to share about a really important topic um, that does not get talked about very much. Um, I think people are afraid to talk about it or don't know what to say. It's taboo. Yeah, yeah, it's taboo. It's dark. Um, you know, people don't know what to say about it, maybe. Mm-hmm. And it feels, I mean, it is dark. It feels dark. I mean, it, um, he's going to be talking about suicide. Um, he's going to tell his story and also give you guys some resources as well. Um, and we are going to talk about it today, even though it's hard to talk about. Yes, I mean, it's very difficult sometimes. Yeah, it is. I mean, I just told him my story of my friend that I lost um, to suicide. It was really hard to talk about, even to someone I know has been through the same thing. So it's, but we're going to talk about it today because it needs to be talked about. Um, it really does because it doesn't get talked about enough. And so many people I know um, have been in that moment of not wanting to live here anymore um, or ha- has lost someone close to them or almost has. And this might save someone's life. I'm, I'm hoping it does, you know. Just one person is more than enough. Right. I believe that. So I will go ahead and stop talking now. <laughs> and it's like I've been talking all day. <laughs> and let you tell your story. If I have any questions, I'll just ask you. Um, so I just want to start out with some statistics first, because I think it'll help put everything into context. Because, uh, you know, suicide isn't talked about a whole lot. Um, mental health in general is kind of... Um, push to the side because it's not something that's advertised. It's not something that you can physically see. It's not one of those ailments where somebody says, Hey, I have cancer and everybody huddles around you. So um, these numbers are from 2019. I wasn't able to get um, numbers from 2020. Uh, I don't know if it's because we're in a pandemic or what the deal was, but um, in 2019, suicide was the 10th leading cause of death among all age groups in the U.S., and it was the second highest cause of death in people in age groups from 10 to 14, 15 to 24, and 25 to 34. In males and females from ages 25 to 44, suicide rate is 35.4 per 100,000 people, um, and it's 28 per 100,000 for males and 7.4 for females, and that's per 100,000. Um, 1.4 million adults attempted suicide, uh, 1.2 million actually made plans and attempted 217,000 had no plan, but they attempted 3.5 million made suicide plans and 12 million had serious thoughts of suicide. And just, uh, to kind of give you an idea, the ninth leading cause of death in 2019 was from flu and pneumonia and 49,000 people. Uh, died from flu and pneumonia and from suicide it was about 42,000 people that died Um, those are just some general statistics that I wanted to share with everybody Uh, the next few are kind of more significant to my life and have more meaning uh, to me Um, so this is from Johns Hopkins which is a very prestigious medical school and hospital um, so this is just a little information from their website and a study was done, which is believed to be the largest one to date on this subject. Um, but losing a parent to suicide makes children more likely to die by suicide themselves. And it also increases the risk of developing a range of major psychiatric disorders. 
um, children or teens that lose a parent to suicide are three times more likely to die by suicide than those living with parents um, or with living parents, excuse me. And you said it was three times. Three times more likely if you had a parent die by suicide that the child uh, would also die the same way. And then in the U.S., uh, there's about 7,000 to 12,000 children that lose a parent to suicide. And then this one is uh, more uh, relevant to my future career. Um, medical doctors have the highest risk of suicide among all professions. Oh, wow. They have uh, 1.87 times uh, higher um, risk of dying by suicide. Uh, nearly 4% of all doctor deaths result from suicide. And some of the things that factor into that are like working long hours, the demands from patients, malpractice lawsuits, medical school expenses, which definitely aren't cheap. Um, and then female doctors are 2.78 times more likely to die by suicide compared to females in other occupations. So it's even harder for uh, women in the medical field and just women in general. Mm -hmm. Um I did not know that about doctors. That's crazy. Yeah, uh, it's, you know, just uh, something that really stood out to me because, uh, you know, that's what I'm working towards. Right. So I was kind of shocked myself whenever I read it. I mean, I knew it was much higher, but I didn't realize it was almost two times right. the rate of Regular. every other profession. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, so uh, I'm done with the numbers. I know you could I could read numbers all day long because there's, you know, list upon list upon list whenever I was. Uh, where I did my homework this morning, I mean, I can't even tell you how many pages of numbers that I saw. And I mean, it was very overwhelming and that's coming from somebody that I've seen numbers before. And this, right. you know, this isn't a new topic to me. Um, but you know, my childhood was fairly normal. I mean, I grew up in a single parent home. I just lived with my mom. Um, pretty common for uh, households these days. I hate to say that, but you're seeing more and more um, children grow up, grow up in a single parent home. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't really think much about it as I was growing up. Um, you know, I, I would ask my mom, I would ask my family members, you know, what happened to my dad? And I would always get this very nonspecific answer. They would say, oh, he was sick. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I didn't really know what that meant, but I also didn't know enough to question it either because I had no idea. Right. And You're too young. yeah, I was just too young. And I mean, I was, that was the last thing I was worried about. I mean, I wanted my dad in my life, but at the same right. time, it wasn't something that, you know, I thought about every single day. I didn't obsess right. over it or anything. I was in school. I played sports. You know, it seemed like I had that perfect life that you alluded right. to. Right. I, I mean, I did have a good life. I had a good life while I was growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, but the the way I viewed life kind of changed uh, not long after I turned 16. Um, I have an older sister, and she's kind of been like a nomad in my life. She's kind of come and went whenever she pleased. Mm -hmm. And um, not long after I turned 16, she found me and contacted me. And, of course, I was ecstatic because I hadn't heard from her in so long. Right. And I'd always, you know, wanted her to be part of my life. Yeah. And she's an older sister, so you probably kind of – you know, it's always this. Right. Yeah. Know, I mean, you know. I, you know, it was somebody to look up to right. and it was somebody that had something in common with me because yeah. we're family and it was, it was something new. You know, everybody gets excited about new yeah, things. Especially family you don't see very often. Right. right. Um, so she calls me and, um, you know, ask if, you know, what's going on, ask how I am, you know, just small talk. So, mm -hmm. um, 
you know, I tell her, uh, you know, I just kind of give her a, a brief update or whatever. It was probably something stupid. I mean, I was 16, <laughs> so there's no telling what I actually said. Right. <laughs> um, but she ended up inviting me to her house. And I asked my mom and my mom said, yeah, sure. You know, you can go stay the weekend with her. And I was, you know, super excited because right. one, I was out of my mom's house <laughs> and two, I was about to go hang with, out with my older sister. I knew she kind of like, you know, not really partied hard or anything, right. but she knew how to have fun. Yeah. Not partying harder than your mom. <laughs> yeah. Definitely partied harder than my mom. Um, so, you know, the, I get there and everything's fine. Like we're just hanging out. We go to the grocery store mm -hmm. and, you know, we're just kind of catching up on things and, um, the day was pretty normal. Um, and later that night we're sitting outside and, you know, she's just talking to me about different things and asking, you know, questions about our family because she, you know, once again, she was in and out of my life, but right. my dad's side of the family, she never was really around at all. Okay. Um, that's a whole nother story. to say. <laughs> so, um, but anyways, uh, you know, she just asked if I knew what happened and, you know, I told her what I'd always been told that he was sick. Even at 16? Even yeah. at 16. Like, I had no idea. And, you know, like I said, I didn't continue to question it because I was just like, oh, well, he was sick. Right. And, and that was that your was, life. You yeah. That, raised, yeah. Just your mom. And right. And that was a good enough reason for me. I mean, people get sick. I knew people got sick. Yeah. And I'd had other people that I'd lost in my life, my grandfather mm -hmm. and, uh, well, both grandfathers, actually, by that time. And so, I mean, being sick is being sick. I, right. You know, and we're, in the, we're from the country, so people just say that. Too. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you could sick. have, okay. yeah, they could have a heart attack or cancer and somebody says, well, they got sick. Well, okay. Okay. That's good enough. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, I kind of looked at her crazy because I wasn't really sure what she was about to say because, you know, once again, I'd always been told he was sick. Mm. And um she told me what actually happened and i it took me a long time like even there are even days now that it i really struggle to process what that is and back then i mean it hurt me because one i was angry because i felt like my family had lied to me for 16 oh, years dude. 15 years mm -hmm. and two because you know i i didn't know what suicide was but i knew enough about it to know that it was, you know, like a selfish act or so it seemed to me mm -hmm. at the time. And that's what we hear from people in school or whatever, you know, you hear it. Right. Or, people. oh, they were a coward. They killed On themselves. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, TV makes it look that way. Any type of media makes it look that way mm -hmm. because like, it's just one of those things people want to say this happened and then it gets brushed to the side. Right. Until it happens to someone you care about and then you realize it's not that way right and there's it's much more than just this thing that happens yeah oh um, yeah um and the the weird thing about suicide is is that you know you see somebody that is dying from cancer you can see that person for two weeks two months two years and you slowly see that decline mm -hmm. and suicide works in a similar way they say that there's these signs of somebody suffering from depression or some type of other mental illness that leads to suicide. Mm -hmm. But those signs are so subtle and so easy to miss mm -hmm. because it's not this physical change of this person. They, they might withdraw or they might show some mm -hmm. signs physically, but it's not what you see right. in the typical illness. Right. You and, don't get prepared. Right. There's, there's no way to prepare for right. it because it's usually very unexpected unless you have a really keen eye for those things right. and you're like really well trained in that area. Right. Exactly. 
And most of us aren't. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, you know, at 16, I only knew what that was. I had no idea you just of knew what suicide was. Right. Uh, other than that, I didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was really hurt after I heard that. I was really angry. I experienced a lot of different feelings. And, um, you know, after the weekend was over and uh, I went back home, yeah, I asked my mom about it. I just straight up confronted her and I probably was pretty angry whenever I asked or how I asked it, but I didn't know any other way to process it because it was, you know, all these feelings hitting me at 16, mm-hmm. let alone all the other things that you deal with in high school. Right. Um, right. So and that's a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal. Right. I mean, it's, it's a lot. Um, you know, once again, I didn't really understand it back then, but now that I understand it, it's, it hurts much more now than it did then. It's like you opened up a fresh wound Mm -hmm. because I understand it. You understand how it happened. Right. Right. And so, you know, I mean, the rest of my life went fairly normal, uh, you know, up to this point, but several years ago, my aunt asked me to go to these, um, suicide survivor meetings with her. And at first I was very hesitant because I was like, I don't want to talk about that. Nope. None of y'all talk about that. So I'm not going to talk about it. I don't want to hear about it. Like this is something I'm going to tuck away. And if somebody ever asks, yeah, sure. I'll tell them, but that's like, that's as far as it's going to go. We're not going to have a conversation about it. We're not going to discuss my feelings. We're not going to discuss Mm -hmm. your feelings. We're not going to talk about this. That's Um, how you dealt with it really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just buried it. Like I thought about it and there were times, um, you know, from that point on, that I, you know, really struggled with not having my dad around. You know, I would see other people, and even if their parents were separated or whatever, like, dad would be at one thing and mom would be at another thing. So they still got the best of both worlds, in my opinion. And, um, I was, you know, reluctantly I told my aunt that I would go because she's not one to share her feelings. So I thought, well, I'll be moral support for her and let her say what she needs she to say. And I'll just sit here. Right. And that was her brother. Right. Right. Okay. Um, it was, yeah, it was her oldest brother. She okay. has um, an older sister and then a younger brother. Okay. Okay. So I go and, um, of course, the first thing to do is want everybody to introduce themselves, which I hate because, like, I hate small talk. So right. I'm like, all right, this is already too much. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I'm getting you're angry. Yeah. You're well, I now. mean, I, at that time, I wasn't. I mean, I was kind of, um, I didn't really feel anything about it. It was just, it happened, and I had other things going on in my life. Right. I was working at the hospital. I was in school. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, you know what? I would think about it whenever I had time to think about it. Mm-hmm. But as long as I didn't, it, you know, I could just bury it. Mm-hmm. A lot of men do that. Yeah. I mean, women, that's but... how we're raised. You right. know, as a man, you're not supposed to show emotions. You're supposed to be this or this robot and you right. don't have feelings except right. for anger. That's what most, they, you yeah. know, people <laughs> expect okay men to, to be that. angry. Right. <laughs> so, okay to have that. <laughs> um, but you know, um, after we did that, uh, my aunt spoke and I was kind of shocked because she's like much quieter than I am. Like I consider myself a super introvert. She's like way on a different level than what I am as far as being introverted. So I was shocked that she said something. She had to get it out. Yeah. And I think that it had just weighed on her for so long. And that being there with me, knowing that I knew what I knew, 
she felt like I need to get this out. Right. So, um, you know, I decided that I would share my story too, because I felt compelled to speak since she did. Was that that day? That was that, that was the same day. And that's crazy you go from not wanting to talk about it all oh, i'm just coming here to help her and then i want to say yeah i was just there for moral support right. i was not Let's i was not saying a word like we were in the car and she's telling me about it and talking about oh this is how i found out about this and i'm like okay that's good you okay. know I'll, I'll come with you but that's it i'm not i'm not talking to these people <laughs> and i think another reason why um I was so against that is because, I mean, which obviously I don't know. I was so young whenever it happened, but um, apparently um, my dad had made threats before and, um, you know, had said things that alluded to this happening. Oh, wow. But the therapist that he was going to see said that they were just threats. And my mom had called numerous times and, and told this man, I don't know what his official position is, but basically told her to brush it off and it wasn't serious and mm. it's not a big deal, but the I'll therapist? be the therapist. Yeah. The I, don't, I don't know who, I, I don't know who this guy was. I don't know right. if he was a psychiatrist or, a or, or yeah, I don't know what he was, but um, anyways, and I've heard people say stuff like that before. Yeah. Not I'm, medical people, but I've heard regular people be like, Oh, it's just a threat. It's just, you know, for attention or, Right. You know, when people threaten it, it's just for attention. That's not true. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, people do say these things just to get attention. Mm -hmm. But regardless of their reason for it, if somebody's crying out for help, there's some kind of intentions and there's some kinds of thought. There's mm -hmm. some kind of thought that's there. Yeah, it has to be that, something. Even if it's just a thought, it can lead to more. <laughs> right. I mean, those things evolve, especially if you start to become uh, reclusive mm -hmm. and you know, you don't get out and really do anything and you just have all this extra time on your hands where you think about these things. Right. So I shared my story. That's the first time I'd ever spoken to anyone. And it was a group full of strangers with mm -hmm. only one person that I knew. Um, was that what I saw or no? No, that, that was, was yeah, this is a, just a private meeting that we used okay. to have before the pandemic, the first, okay. the second Thursday of every month, we'd okay. have it at Pathways. And you shared it for everybody. Yeah, well, yeah. it was, there wasn't much, many of us, there was probably six or seven, I mean, this has been a few years ago, so yeah. I don't really remember how many people were there. Um, and that's the first time you feel like you really ever talked about it? That was the first time I'd ever, ever. like... That's crazy. Stated my feelings about it because I, I even at that point I still didn't completely understand it, but I understood it more because mm -hmm. I did my own research. Right. Um. So, it was like I just opened the wound all over again that day. Um. Even for several days after that, it was uh, kind of difficult. Um, to process things because I still had no idea what suicide is. And it's not this thing where it's just this person died by suicide. You know, I it's, know. it's this whole, I mean, you could spend your entire life researching, you know, the ideology behind it and everything behind suicide and not still not completely understand what it no. is. And, you know, the only That's great, that's, you're very right. <laughs> um, one of the things that uh, they always preach to us is that, you know, the person that dies by suicide, they don't want to die. Mm -hmm. They just want the pain to go away. 
Right, I've heard that before. And, you know, I've, uh, what hurts me the most is whenever I think about how bad my dad must have been hurting to do something like that. Whenever you get to this point where the pain is too much to overcome. And I feel like I've had some painful experiences before right. in my life. I mean, just the thought of losing my dad is painful. And then mm-hmm. I've had some injuries, you know, for whatever reason. And I've thought, hey, these things really hurt. But I've never thought, hey, I want to take my own life because to the pain it. is too much to overcome. Yeah, that's really sad to think about. That's the worst part to think about. I think like, right. I mean, because that they felt that way. That someone you love, you know. Right, because you try to, you know, even though I was so young and I couldn't have done anything. When you think about it, when you're older, you think, "What could I have done if right. I was there? If could I have changed older, anything?" Right. Oh yeah, you do think about that. And and life is hard. Like I mean, you get to the, you know, life is not easy. And none of us really asked to be here, you know. Right. Yeah, <laughs> like I mean. Some days it's like I don't, you know, you, I can I can see how people do it, but it's so sad to think about, like you said, getting to that point where I just want this to stop hurting. Right. When you are, you get in that hole, you know, so to speak, and you can never dig your way out. It's just it continues to way. get deeper yeah. and deeper and deeper day after day after day. And you feel like there's nothing you can do about it. You know, tomorrow's going to come no matter what. But tomorrow could be terrible once again. Or, but yeah. then again, it could be better. But yeah. you don't, you know, you're not thinking about what is tomorrow going to be like. You're you're thinking about how I feel in this moment. Right. And that's not a selfish thing. No. It's and, just... you know, everybody says that suicide is a selfish act, but. Think about the worst possible pain that you could ever experience and multiply that by a hundred or even a thousand. Mm-hmm. What would you do? Right. And imagine you're, you're having chemical imbalances in your brain at that time. Right. Too, you know, which is the case for a lot of people. Um, you don't even know what you do at that time because you don't know how your brain would be working at that time. And if you had an imbalance or you, you know, you were depressed or, Anything or on some type of medicine that you never had before, you know, you don't know what you do. Right. I mean, your brain is very, very powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a song by Louis Capaldi called Before You Go. And one of the lyrics says, um, I'm probably going to butcher it. I don't remember exactly what it says, but um, it says something along the lines of, uh, it kills me how, uh, it kills me to know how your mind can make you feel so worthless. Mm-hmm. and your mind is so powerful. It can do amazing things if you let it. Right. It can do positive things, but it can obviously do very negative things, very and it can things. overcome any positivity that you have in your life, and that inner voice of negativity can say, nothing is good in my life. Right. So, you know, it works both ways, and those words are just really powerful because it goes to mm-hmm. show you that you could have a 100 people around you that truly love you, mm-hmm. But that inner voice says, they all hate you, and this life is terrible. Mm-hmm. It needs to end you because I hurt. Right. right. And I don't feel like they're thinking about the people that love them at that moment. And they're not not because they're being selfish, but that inner voice has, like, overcome their everything. Right. I mean, you have the lost control. Right. I mean, you've just lost control of everything that is you. This mm-hmm. inner voice and these demons have overcome everything 
that you have to fight against it and you've just had enough. You fought for, you know, years or months or however long right. and you just can't fight anymore. You're tired and, you can't know, you just anything else. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, that once again, that was the first time that I ever really talked about it. And I, mean, I thought that happened for a reason because you never really talked about it and then you couldn't really feel it because you didn't talk. I mean, you felt it, but you kind of put it away. You didn't process it probably like you should have. And then your aunt, you know, gets you to go. You're like, I'm not going to talk. And then you do. And she probably taught. You said she was introverted. Extremely. <laughs> I she taught to help people or to get it off her chest. Maybe she thought I need to help these people more than my introversion. You know, goes. And then you talked about it. And then you had to feel it again. And I feel like maybe that was for a re you know, for a reason for you to be where you are today. I agree with that statement a hundred percent because one of the things that I have found out um, just working at the hospital and working towards becoming a doctor, you know, you walk in with that white coat and everybody's on high alert. Like, mm -hmm. you know, they look at you like you're this superior being mm -hmm. and they're beneath you. It doesn't matter what they are. If they're laying in that bed, they think I'm lesser no matter what. Right. And one thing that talking to telling people my story has shown me is that when you show somebody that you're human and you show them that you have scars, mm -hmm. they'll open up to you and you can form that relationship with right. them. And that's one of the greatest things that I've ever experienced in life is whenever you can form these relationships with patients mm -hmm. or just other people in general, whenever right. they realize you're a person too, and you show like them me, your scars. <laughs> But yeah, and patients especially, they'll trust you and open up to you. Right. And it's happened, you know, several times. We, um, you know, I obviously can't go into a lot of detail, but right. um, I've taken care of patients before. I've been working at the hospital um, and the nurses have come to get me because this person's been there for attempted suicide. Well, oh, wow. who did they, they run to? Oh, that's awesome. So, you know, they come to get me and. I'll go talk to this person. I'll just kind of share a little, I don't tell them every intimate detail of, you right. know, what happened to me, but I'll just let them know, you know, I experienced this in my life. And a lot of times it completely changes their perspective because it kind of, you can see that it kind of puts them at ease, even though, um, you know, they're still tense, obviously mm -hmm. they're at the hospital. They don't want to be there. Everybody's trying to tell them what to do already. Mm -hmm. But you know, when you, share your scars with people they're more likely to share their scars with you and see you as a person just as you see them as a person mm -hmm. um true. so that's just been one of the most uh helpful things in that aspect and also every time that i tell somebody you know what i've experienced is very therapeutic and it's it's very hard to talk about this just like I'm sure, you know, everybody has a story mm -hmm. and not everybody wants to talk about that because it's hard, it, right. you know, to bring up old things that were hurtful, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, whatever, whenever it happened, it's hard to do it now. It, right. I mean, nothing, the time doesn't make it any easier. You said it like opens the wound again. Is that what you Right. I mean, you it? know, just think about, you know, you have this wound and then you put a band-aid on it and it feels good for a little while mm -hmm. you know no bleeding no nothing but then 
somebody asks you about it and you rip it off to show them mm -hmm. and you got that pain all over again. You got the bleeding, you got the pain, you know, everything associated with that. And then you put the bandaid back on for however long until somebody asks about it again, then you rip the bandaid right. off again. It just never ends. Really. Right. Yeah. I mean, it never it's a, fully goes away. Yeah. It's not a wound that ever heals. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes along with anything related to mental health is that, you know, there's ads upon ads upon ads on TV, magazines, even though I don't know how those are still a thing anymore because right. who looks at a magazine? <laughs> but they, the internet. <laughs> yeah, but they are, they are a thing. Um, posters, I mean, everywhere you look, there's posters for strokes. There's posters mm -hmm. for cancer. There's posters for heart attacks. There's, I mean, there's mm -hmm. how many ads in a day do you see on TV about this medication that treats this? Right, all the time. So my weight question loss, is all that. right. Weight loss, everything, mm -hmm. any, I mean, Beauty being overweight yeah. is a, a health issue. Right. There's like something to change anything that you have going on. Right. There's a pill. Health. There's a pill for it right. or something. Right. But how many ads do you see in a day that are related to mental health? Not many at all. I've seen one, one. Right. And that's, I don't, I hate the commercial because it's handled very inappropriately in my opinion, but basically this uh, husband and wife are on the phone with each other. The husband shows up to the house. Uh, you know, he's talking to the wife. He's frantic. He goes up to the bedroom. He looks in his drawer for the gun. The gun's not there. And they, he goes and knocks on his son's door, I guess, or bathroom. I'm not really sure. And then like the son, the husband starts to uh, start crying because he knows what happened. And, you know, that's one commercial out of ha out of how ever. how many? The only thing I've ever seen about mental health ever is maybe on Instagram or Facebook where it's that little app like the I think it's like a therapy app. Talk space. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only thing I've ever seen. Ever. Yeah. I mean, people just don't talk about no. it because what do you say to somebody that loses someone to suicide? Right. I've had people say nothing to me before if I've told them. Right, but about you've it. lost family members in other ways, right? Right. They've lost. They've or died by a heart attack, or they were in a car wreck, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And people are, you know, telling you, "Oh, I'm sorry." Right. You know, trying to console you. Right. But when you and lose somebody, talk about it with you. Right, or they'll say, you know, um, "I'm so sorry this happened to you." Um, my uncle died in a car wreck or whatever, or died right. of a heart attack or had a stroke and died. What, you know, whatever it was. And I'm not trying to downplay any other illness because right. all illnesses all are bad. serious to all me. Deaths. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, dying is, uh, you know, one of those few things we're promised in life, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, but when you lose somebody to suicide, Nobody is there for you. Right. Your family doesn't want to talk about it. Your friends don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. Your coworkers don't know what to say. So then you're just left with the loss. Right. And, and no answers. Right. No reason why. So not only do you not have any answers, you're by yourself. Yeah. And even if they, you know, the person leaves a letter, it's not going to answer everything that you have no. because the longer that time passes, the more questions I have because you experience more things in life. Mm -hmm. And so you, you know, 
you become wiser as you get older for as crazy as that sounds. I always <laughs> thought my mom was stupid when I was younger, but she's actually really she smart right. for, as, for as crazy as that sounds. Um, but you know, as you get older, you think about things in a deeper way. And mm -hmm. so you're always going to have questions. And, um, I think that, you know, that's just one of the things that's helped me the most with this is just sharing with other people, because even though it hurts me in that moment, I know that for that one person that might need, that might be what they needed to hear for that right. day. Or, you know, maybe they've suffered through the same thing. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, they just felt so isolated and so alone. But then I tell them, Hey, this is what happened to me. And I don't have to tell them, you know, Anything. every detail. Right. I can just say, Hey, I lost my dad to suicide right after I turned one. And then, you know, you can see the tension ease from their shoulders. Right. And sometimes they cry. Sometimes they hug you. Sometimes they, you know, they just have this blank stare on their face. Mm -hmm. Like they don't know what to say. Just like nobody else really knows what to right. say, but you know that they're going to take that home with them mm -hmm. and they're going to think about that and think, man, I'm not alone in this anymore. And if I need to talk to somebody, because I always tell people, where, like I've told patients before, I've given them my number, and I don't really like to do that, and that's not mm -hmm. a good thing to do. Probably shouldn't do I that ever again. I've had a doctor do that to me. It was wonderful. <laughs> but, you know, I tell them, if you ever need to talk to somebody, I'm here for you. That's great. I think you should always do that. Uh, <laughs> not, not, maybe not to everybody. Yeah, you, you kind of have to be careful because some people will cross the line and kind of right. abuse that relationship. So you have to, you know, but certain ones that you feel wouldn't. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. Very nice thing to do. Um, and once again, it just lets them know that you are invested in them more than just you're another paycheck. Mm -hmm. You know, like if I'm coming to you and I'm taking care of you and, you know, you have this, there's this intimidation factor because, oh, I'm the doctor and you're the patient and mm -hmm. you're thinking I have all the power. And then I, say hey this happened to me and hey here's my number mm -hmm. well that gives you access to me outside of this position because right. being a doctor is never going to be who i am right that's great it's going to be part of me and it's going to be a huge part of me and i think it's such a great thing like mm -hmm. there's nothing in this world that i'd rather do you could put any job in front of me and there's not one of those other than this that mm -hmm. i would want and you know you have to balance that with who you are and mix those mm -hmm. in a way that um, fulfills your needs and then fulfills your role as a doctor. Right. Um, and I think that this does, you know, I think that this does that for me. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, losing my dad was extremely hard and it's hard every single day. And some days are better than others. But also know that if that wouldn't have happened, I would be a completely different person. I would be in a completely different place. There's no telling where I would be at right now. Right. And um, do you think you have the same like, drive that you have for what you want in life? Yeah, it's really hard to say because, you know, you can't ever predict the future. And, mm -hmm. you know, just based on things in the past, you can't really base a whole lot on that either. Some things you can look back on and see, OK, like that's what led me here. Mm -hmm. Um. So I, I don't really know. I don't have an honest answer to, 
to that. I would like to think it would, but mm-hmm. also, you know, my dad did heating and air. So, you know, if I was around that all the time, I might have thought, hey, this is cool. This is what I want right. to do too. And following his footsteps. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, every, or not every, but most little boys when they're growing up, they want to be just like dad. Because, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, my grandfather did heating and air and oh, my dad like did heating and air thing. and my uncle does heating right. and air and does like maintenance stuff. So, you know, there was kind of a trend there. And right. I, you know, usually you that. never would have thought about being a doctor. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, <laughs> and I didn't for a long time. Right. So, you know, it's hard to say that, but. I think having that happen to me allows me to be a person Mm -hmm. that can relate to other people. And even if it's not that they lost somebody to suicide, even if you can just be vulnerable to somebody for one moment, Mm -hmm. they appreciate that more than what you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It makes you feel like a real person, like you said, to open up. You know, most people would appreciate that. Right. I would think to open up like that. That's really good. Um, You're right. People don't know what to say about it. So that would be interesting how, you know, how to raise awareness or how, how, what do you think is a good idea on raising awareness to people? Or like if, I don't know, like what would you say? I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. I guess there really is no right thing to say when someone has lost someone. You don't know what to say. I've had people say nothing to me before when I've told them or just, you know, I'm sorry. And I don't know. I guess there really is no right thing to say. There's not a right thing to say, but you can always be empathetic towards someone. Mm -hmm. Just because you haven't experienced that same thing doesn't mean that you can't let them know that you're there for them. Right. And whatever they're going through. And, you know, the weird thing about grieving is you go through, you know, different stages. There's, you know, a whole breakdown of stages of grief. And, you know, uh, as I said earlier, I was angry for a long time. I was very angry. I was angry with my family. I was angry at the world. I thought the world owed me something just because, you know, I lost my dad. Mm -hmm. And I really had a poor outlook on life and just the world in general. Um And then sometimes, you know, I would get sad about it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you're allowed to grieve however you see fit. If you want to be angry, then be angry. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean go be destructive and angry, but be angry. You're, yeah, you're allowed to be angry. Mm -hmm. If you want to feel sad, you're allowed to feel sad. Mm -hmm. If you feel guilty, you're allowed to feel guilty. Mm -hmm. And my um, group, my survivor group that we used to hold before the pandemic messed everything up. Um, you know, that's one thing that they always stressed us that you're allowed to feel however you feel, as long as it's not affecting other people, it's not damaging to other people. You right. can feel however you want to feel for as long as you need to feel it. Right. And there's no timeline. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, I lost my dad at one and we're 30 years later here. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I still get angry and sometimes I still get sad. And then sometimes I'm at peace with it. And then other times, you know, I feel guilty and I feel that way about my cousin. Sometimes I feel guilty about it and I don't feel as much anger about him because I don't really have any anger towards the situation. It's more of feeling cousin my cousin. Right. Um, I feel guilty more than anything because mm-hmm. I feel like what could I have done? Could I have went right. that weekend with him? Could I 
have went fishing with him one time when he asked, could I, could I have done something? Right. Something more, you know, is what you think. Right. So it's more of like the guilty and sad that I go through with him. But with my dad, it definitely will go from anger to guilty to sad to peace. And, you know, it just kind of fluctuates. It so just kind of depends. I mean, that's your dad. And that's right. your parent, you know, that you, you don't remember. I mean, that's, oh, I can't imagine that. That's, and then not for people not to know what to say. Like, you know, that hurt. Yeah, but once again, you can always offer to be there for somebody. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that you, you have to say anything. To say. Yeah, you might say, look, I don't know what to say. Or, but I'm here for you. But I'm here for you, yeah. yeah. Like, I'm so sorry. Even if, like, even if you can't think of anything, say, I'm so sorry. I love you. I'm here for you. Yeah, and That's I mean, good. like, whenever, sometimes... If I share it with somebody, like if I'm, you know, talking to my mom about it or some, you know, whoever, sometimes I don't even want them to say anything. Sometimes I just want them to be there. To listen. Right. Or to just to you. just to be next to me. It's just right. that feeling of somebody next to you. And so there's not, there's not always something to say. Sometimes you can just be and that's mm -hmm. enough. That is, that's very good. That's great because I remember... Um, when I lost my friend, um, a few months after I lost her, I was like with these people and I really didn't know them that well. They were new friends or whatever, supposedly. And, um, we had been drinking or whatever. And I had a little too much to drink and I started getting really upset about it. And these people didn't even know anything about it, but it hadn't been that long since it happened. And I had lost control of my, and I just started bawling and crying and, you know, talking about it, and they just looked at each other like, you know, I was crazy, and they didn't say anything, and the next day, I felt so stupid, you know, for even talking about it in front of them, or, which I didn't really mean to, I had been drinking, but, you know, I just felt so stupid, like, you know, because they didn't say a word, and I just felt like I was making things awkward for them, and I just felt so stupid, you know, for sharing it. But that goes back to the it being taboo. Mm -hmm. I mean, if people don't talk about it, yeah. then they are going to look at you like, oh, what am I supposed to do? I mean, it's one of those moments where, you know, you're the one that's experiencing right. those feelings, but the other people around you are panicked because, you know, the natural human instinct is I want to help, but, but I don't know how to help. So yeah. they're panic stricken and like, you know, what do I do? Mm -hmm. And, you know, once again, sometimes just being there, you know. One of them could have just came and put their arm around you right. or just sat next to you mm -hmm. or just said, you know, like I've said earlier, I don't know what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. I hope I never feel what you're feeling, right. but I'm here if you need me. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And that's it's it. that simple. And that's all someone needs sometimes. Or like you said, to listen. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Um, and so in case y'all missed this part, um, Brent is going to school to be a doctor. I'm sure that's been um, clear throughout this. I don't think we really ever said it. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to school to be a doctor um, and tell him where you're going to school after the semester. I'm going to Barbados in at the end of April, uh, April at the end of August, man, school messes me up. <laughs> if I don't have classes for one day, I forget what day of the week okay. it is. <laughs> awesome. And then you're doing clinicals after that semester. Yeah. Um, right. I'll have eight months over there. And then, um, the second half of medical school is just clinical rotations where, um, you know, your third year, everybody goes in and they do the same things. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but then your fourth year, you kind of get to venture out and uh, do some elective stuff. So, you know, I really like surgery, so I'll probably do a lot of surgery stuff and see a lot of extra surgery stuff. Um, and I like oncology too, so I'll probably pick up a lot of oncology things, um, you know, maybe even surgical oncology. I don't really know um, what options I'll have, but um, I'm looking forward to that. I'm tired of looking at my iPad and my computer right. all day. You'll actually be eating that. Yeah. <laughs> You'll probably like that a lot better. Too. Yeah. And, um, I got, I had a, I was having a really hard time, um, whenever I had to put my dog down and it was a combination of that. And then I was thinking about my dad. Cause that was the first time that, um, I'd heard the explanation behind the before you go song by Lewis Capaldi that I referenced earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'd heard the song like, you know, probably at least 10 times on the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, right. but I mean, I didn't know the meaning behind it and I was, I didn't really pay attention to be honest with you because it's not my style of music. So I was like, eh, you know, whatever. Like, like, no, it's not country. It's, um, I don't even really know what genre you consider it. Cause, um, just not your thing. Yeah. <laughs> not definitely not my thing, but I don't even remember how I came across it, but I think it was something on TV and it was talking about it and it, um, you know, talked about, the reason uh, he wrote the song mm-hmm. and it was to his aunt that committed or oh, I shouldn't say committed committed is one of those words you don't use mm-hmm. whenever it comes to suicide because it has negative connotations. Cause oh. you know, it's usually like committed a crime right? and suicide, even though it is a painful thing, it's, it shouldn't be seen as a negative thing right. because you know, once again, the person just wants their pain to go away. So, um, you know, died by suicide or lost by suicide right. or however you want to term it, just Not committed, committed is just one of those. Uh, thing. Yeah. Um, but Not that's actually, respectful, yeah. Um, but that's why he wrote the song is because he was finally, you know, he had talked to his mom about it and it, cause it was her sister. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it was kind of like, uh, dedicated to her he basically i think he had already completed his album and he wasn't even going to have the song on there but Mm -hmm. then he wrote the song and like he just felt compelled to include it on the album i don't remember the exact story but it was something along those lines so i listened to it and i was like yeah like it it makes sense right Um, you feel differently after hearing it after that oh yeah Mm -hmm. um yeah it definitely hits me a lot different now than what it did before right Um, you probably just heard it like in the background before yeah it was more like you know, I heard it and it was, you know, like this peaceful sounding song and, you know, that mm-hmm. was about the gist of it. But it has right. such a deep meaning, especially, right. you know, for people that have lost someone that way. I'll have to listen to that. Definitely. It's, I mean, it's a, it can be a tearjerker because it's oh, a very deep be. song. But <laughs> And anybody that has lost someone, you know, what's the name of the song again? Before You Go. It's by Lewis Capaldi. Lewis Capaldi, Before mm-hmm. You Go. There's healing though, and feeling those feelings, you know, even when they hurt. Um, I feel like there there is healing in that. Right, and, and you have to stop sometimes and just feel it, you know. And um, and that's what I was getting to is like, you know, I heard that song and I just had to put my dog down. So it was a a combination of things, and I think the reason why it hit me so much is because that one of my coping mechanisms is helping people mm-hmm. and I just don't have that in my Obviously. life right now. Cause it's, you know, computer, iPad. Right. And then, you know, I'm, I have a little time every now and then to enjoy myself, but no, I don't no, get no. that same patient interaction that I used to get when I worked at the hospital. And mm-hmm. even though it was hard, like 
I didn't realize that that's how I coped with and my dad's life. loss was to help other people. Oh, oh, oh. Hey, I can't wait for you to get this over with. So you can start <laughs> helping because in clinicals you'll be helping people. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll be responsible for patients. You know, I'll have to round on them and get you know, basic information about them and do a physical exam on them and stuff like that and present it to the attending and the residents and, you know, all the important people. Right. <laughs> you know what's funny is like you, my grandmother and Debbie all have very different stories. My grandmother's was about, you know, disabled and her children and the things they went through. Debbie's was addiction and yours was suicide, um, being a suicide survivor. And all of you guys coping mechanism was helping people. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. It's, you know, I think the quote was by Gandhi. Um, and once again, I'm, I may butcher this, but okay. uh, the Gandhi quote goes something like, the best way to find yourself is to uh, lose yourself in the service of others. Mm -hmm. And like that. that is so true because, you know, when you, even though I haven't been able to help anybody to a great extent at this point, mm -hmm. The little things that I've been able to do for them brings me so much satisfaction knowing that I help somebody and there's no expectation from me for them to do anything in return. It's just the fact that I got to help them overcome whatever that obstacle was in the right. moment, whether it be they came in, you know, because nobody's taking care of them at home. So mm -hmm. their hygiene wasn't so great and I got to bathe them and they got to feel clean for the first time in days or weeks or months mm -hmm. or you know, maybe they were having a tough time. Like they came in because they were going to, they tried to kill themselves. And then wow. I just get to share myself with them. And so. I bet that's like very special. Yeah. And people especially. I mean, I hope so. And like, you know, I've shared it with some, like one patient I remember in particular. And it kind of seemed like, you know, he listened, but he wasn't really into it. He was kind of like, yeah, you know, he was kind of younger. He was younger than me. Mm -hmm. Um so I kind of think he felt like I was just uh, being nagging or something, right. like trying to persuade him. Yeah, just to because you're a doctor, <laughs> you're in, you're in the hospital, right? Um, but you know, I was just trying to you know be vulnerable for him in that moment, and in the hopes he was just that so, like in that moment himself, he couldn't react to you know. Yeah, and I mean. You know, when you have this stranger come in your room that doesn't, because, I mean, I just got out of school that day and, you know, I was, you know, going around to all the nurses seeing if they needed help with anything because um, I didn't actually have a patient assignment yet. Mm -hmm. And they told me. So, of course, I was like, okay, I'll go in there and talk to this uh -huh. guy. And, um, you know, when some stranger comes in your room or, just comes to yeah, you in public or like whatever you're like who the heck are you mm -hmm. i don't care what you have to say regardless of if i can relate to that or mm -hmm. not so you know i i definitely understand that when some people are like really resistant to what i'm saying or like sharing with them because i'm a stranger mm -hmm. and they're probably not in the best state of mind so they don't right. want to hear what you have to say anyways. Right. They don't even, they didn't even want to be here a few minutes ago, you know? Right. But even if in that moment they don't think, oh, I'm glad he came to talk to me. I hope that some day in the future, mm -hmm. if they consider that again, there's something in their head that says, hey, I remember this guy came mm -hmm. to talk to me and he told me, you know, right. what he told me. Right. And they don't do it. 
Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to hear from you because you did lose your parent and, you know, they, they probably, I would think, hopefully they will think back to that because you have been there and you can tell them how it was for you, how you felt through that and the pain that it caused you. And, you know, it's, it, it is important to hear from survivors to know, you know, how it feels and then someone that is at that moment, um, maybe not all the way there yet, but considering or it's that thought or pretty close and they might, they might, they might think about that. Hey, I'm heard from someone who, you know, has, who has felt the loss of someone from this and, you know, it really affected him. Maybe I shouldn't do that to my loved ones. Yeah. Cause it's a shockwave. It sends a shockwave to everybody that you know. Everybody. And even if it's not somebody that you're super close with, just hearing that about someone that you know is like really jarring mm. and really eye opening and really tragic. And- yeah. And so, you know, you might think, well, I don't have anybody in this world and hopefully that's not true. But even if it is true, somebody out there has some type of um, investment in you in one way or another. And it's going to bother that person. And it may not bother them to the extent that, you know, it's bothered me or it's bothered you or, you know, somebody that's more intimate to the situation, but it's going to impact them in one way or another. Um, so you all, you have to take that into consideration. And I know it's hard because, you know, once again, you just want the pain to end. But mm-hmm. the pain may end for you, but the pain is forever with, that, the, people with the people that are left. That's very true. And the pain will end for you. You know, it doesn't have to end that way. And right. it can get better. And it does get better. If only, you know, and keep pushing through because things don't stay bad forever. And they don't. Yeah. I for mean, for the most part, they don't. Even if today is bad and tomorrow might be bad, maybe the next day it'll be good. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, or yeah, or the next week or the next month. Mm-hmm. I mean, things just take time and, you know, nothing is going to be done just because you want it done in that moment. Um, I'm not trying to be religious or anything, but I know there's been numerous times in my life that I've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed to God for things. Mm-hmm. And, like I'm not getting anything in return. Like whenever I applied to medical school, I prayed every morning Aww. before I went to school, God, please just give me a chance Aww. to get into medical school so I can continue to pursue my dream. And, you know, like I didn't hear anything from anybody. And we're, once again, it was in the middle of the pandemic. So the whole mm-hmm. application process was weird. And yeah, that sucks. <laughs> I'm thinking, all right, well, you know, People around me are telling me, hey, you might have to apply another cycle, which is mm-hmm. really expensive. And I'm thinking, I can't just keep dumping money into this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ross wasn't my first choice. I told them that whenever I had my interview, I was very honest with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but God did answer my prayers. And, you know, I've made hopefully lifelong friends in the short time right. that I've been there. And, you know, I think he put me there for a reason because he knew that I didn't, you know, medical school is very ugly. Um, There's what we call gunners in medical school that just try to get to the top of the class by Mm -hmm. any means necessary. And they will crush people underneath them. And, you know, everybody wants that same thing. Right. You know, everybody wants to get the residency position they want and everybody wants to be the top of the class. Mm -hmm. But, you know, my friends are not that way. Like we help each other. And I think that God knew that those 
were the kind of people that I needed in awesome. my life. So, you may not have found those people somewhere else. Right. And because, you're not like that either. And so, yeah, like, I mean, I'm all for success of everybody. Mm -hmm. Like just because I might only barely scrape by, if you're at the top, you know, in the top 10 of the class, I'm right. cheering you on every step of the way. Right. That's great. I love that. And so you you needed to be there, and that's it. It took a while, and it wasn't where you wanted. Yeah. And it's where you're supposed to be at. But it's in Barbados, and your fiance feel like that. Yeah, she gets, she gets an eight month vacation. <laughs> that's awesome. And you guys are going for eight months. Yeah, because um, you know, back to the pandemic again. Um, we were supposed to go last fall, okay. last August, but um, they moved everything to online because of the pandemic and trying to travel internationally and all that. So yeah, yeah. I just have to finish up my the end of my first two years there. So it'll just be eight months from August until April. And then you'll start clinicals and then you'll be a doctor, and you'll be a doctor right? Um, clinicals and tests and stuff. Well, after, so after these two years, um, I'll take my USMLE step one, which mm -hmm. is the first uh, licensing exam that I have to take. And you take that between your um, basic science years and your clinical years. And then after your clinical years, which is the last two years of medical school, then you start getting paid, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you don't, in reality, you don't make that much. I mean, the salary is pretty good. I think the salary is something like uh, around $60,000 mm -hmm. a year. But you're also working, um, you know, some people say 40 hours a week, but it's more like 80 to 100, maybe oh, even wow. 120 hours a week. And I did a breakdown and it's really only like $15 an hour. Wow. But residency can be anywhere from three years, some are seven years. Like neurosurgery residency is insane and it's seven gosh, years long. Gosh. <laughs> um, but I don't really care anything about that. Um, mm -hmm. But you are you are a doctor, you're done with school. So you are right. doctor, whoever at right. that point after your clinical years, yeah. but you're not, you're still not on your own technically mm -hmm. because you're not an attending doctor. That's okay. attending is what you're seeking because that means nobody is over you as okay. far as like, you know, checking your notes or checking your work. You're on your own. You're on your own. Okay. Yeah. You better you spread your wings and fly. First. Yeah. You have to, Before. you have to do residency first and residency is based on whichever specialty you choose, like family medicine, internal medicine, which will be like your hospitals that you see the ones that come to see you every day at the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, okay. That's three years. But then once again, you can go for seven years to neurosurgery residency. And then, you can further subspecialize if you want to after residency okay. and that's called a fellowship. And so um, like my cousin, he's an anesthesiologist. So he went to anesthesiology residency, but then he went to a fellowship for pain management. Oh, cool. So he's a pain management spe specialist. And an anesthesiologist. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah. That sucks. You have a few more things under your belt. And this one, if you do that. Right. That's cool. I like that. Well, I'm excited for you. Um, so I guess I'll just ask some questions and I do think it's, you know, it's so crazy. Like, you know, how your life has been, the things that you've been through, the things that I can never imagine going through. Um, you know, I was very fortunate, you know, in my life and growing up and you were too, you had a great life. Yeah. Your I mean, mom. my mom is a rock star. She's like, amazing. She, I, was gonna say yeah. that. I don't know her, but I mean, and then, you know, I'm sure it was very difficult for her at times by herself. Yeah. And I, you know, I think one of the hardest things for me, and I don't know, I mean, like, obviously, 
believe, you know, whenever I actually saw my dad, I was too young to remember actually seeing him. And I've seen pictures, but, you know, pictures and seeing somebody in person is completely different. But everybody tells me that I look just like him. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the hardest things for her, whenever she sees me, is then she has to see him again. Right. And and has she told you that's hard? She hasn't, but sometimes I can just tell. Right. Like, if I ever say something about it, around her mm-hmm. like i can tell that that's what's on her mind like i, I know she's not going to verbalize it because i know she doesn't want to upset me or like make me think you know whatever kind of way too. yeah like makes her upset yeah but i know that it bothers her without her saying that, that, that it bothers like me him. yeah oh i'll have to look back at pictures i've seen pictures but i haven't i haven't i, I don't know i haven't looked at that i'll have to look and see yeah everybody that knew him if they see me, they say, you look just like him. Um, I was over at my aunt's one time, and uh, I can't remember if this lady went to high school with him. I don't remember. Like She knew him in some kind of way anyways, mm-hmm. and my aunt had her come over. I was up in my cousin's room because he was playing video games. I just went over there to hang out with him and watch him play or whatever, and she called me down to the living room. And this woman's mouth dropped and said she thought she saw a ghost. Wow. So, I mean, like I said, I i don't remember actually seeing him. And obviously, I was too young back then to know yeah, any better. Right. But that's what everybody says. One years old, yeah. Right. Everybody says. And some people, it might kind of be like, I know when I've seen people that look, you know, like the person that I've lost, it, makes, it is scary at first. There's a girl that worked with me that looked like, like her. And it... It was like seeing a ghost at first, but then it was kind of, it was sad, but also kind of comforting in a way, you know, like that you do get to see them again. In a way, it's not them, but it feels like you kind of get to see them again. I know that's how I felt, Um, even though it's not them. It just sort of feels like for a minute, someone similar. Yeah, it's kind of like a comfort thing. Like, even if it's not that same person, it's somebody that... um, it's kind of related to them, whether it's right. their looks or something that they do. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, you know, like I can, I see that in them or. Right. And I'm sure this... you probably act like him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, he apparently had a very short temper and yeah. my temper used to be very short too, but <laughs> it's gotten a was. lot better. Yeah. And I'm sure like have people sharing the good things about him, like about who he was with you. Oh yeah. My, my favorite story, um, my aunt, has told me she's not the one that I went to the meeting with one mm-hmm. that has passed since um, she had cancer. It was all over. But anyways, um, my favorite story that she's ever told me about him is uh, one day um, my grandfather was at work and apparently my dad said something smart to my grandmother. I don't know what he said. And she's, she didn't really specify what he said. She said she couldn't remember if he talked back to her or just said something smart to her. And, you know, my grandmother was not the going to discipline you. My grandfather was going to right. discipline you. <laughs> so, you know, all my grandmother said was, I'll just tell your dad whenever he gets home. Right. So, you know, my dad's like, whatever. And he was real rebellious anyways. Like, he and my aunt would lie to my grandmother all the time. If they were in North Jackson, they would say they were in South Jackson. (laughs) So, like, they were always scheming, always up to something. They grew up in Jackson. Yes. Okay. Um, But anyways, 
my dad heard my grandfather pull up. So he ran and locked himself in the bathroom because he knew he was in trouble. <laughs> and so my grandfather came in. My grandmother told him what happened. So my grandfather goes to the bathroom door and he says, open up this door. <laughs> and my dad said, no, I'm no. not coming out. And he said, if you don't come out, it's going to be worse. So my dad reluctantly, of course, opens the door. Mm-hmm. And my grandfather said, okay, I want you to get on your hands and knees and pray until I tell you to stop. Because once you stop, I'm going to whoop you. (laughs) So my aunt said that she felt so bad for my dad because he was down there so long praying for things that he was running out of things to pray for. (laughs) She said by the time he got to the end of it, he was saying, thank you, God, for the trees. Thank you, God, for grass. Because he was running out of things to thank God for. I don't know because I mean my grandfather was not like a, a mean person like he wasn't abusive by any means but if he said something that's what he meant right that's a cool punishment too like that's like a good punishment. Well, I mean he was gonna eventually get whooped right. too but my grandfather was just trying to set an example hey you right. need to pray for these things that you that's have cool. in life but you're still going to get punished <laughs> afterwards too so i don't know how old he was he probably wasn't very old but then again he could have been 16 17 years old i don't really know it shows you some of his humor though oh yeah yeah he was he was apparently the center of attention at all times because when so you know, I already mentioned that he was a uh, rebel and he would mm-hmm. keep my grandmother on her toes. <laughs> but, you know, just from stories that I've heard, when he went to a party, all eyes were on him because he was the one that was drawing the attention. And he was the one that was acting a fool or whatever he did. <laughs> and it's just so crazy because that's not me at all. I want no eyes on me. Oh, and I don't want to be the center of attention at all. Your mom must be like that. Though. Yeah, my mom is very know. like private and, you know, she don't want people to look at her. That's she doesn't want the attention. And I'm the same way. Like if I go somewhere with a lot of people, I don't want them to look at me. Look at right. it, anybody else except for me. <laughs> He wanted him. <laughs> yeah. I like that. That's funny. Um, so I'm just gonna ask you a few questions, I guess. Um, if you're done, like with your story, the mm-hmm. part of your story, um, is there anything else that you wanted to say about your story or anything that you wanted to add? No, I think, ask a question? That, uh, I think that covered it. Okay. Um, let's see. I'm gonna see. So, one of the questions I was gonna ask you really, um, Let's see. I know you pretty well covered this, but in a short answer, um, what would what would you like to say for those who have lost someone close to them through suicide that are listening to this? Is there something like you would like to say to them um, that has maybe helped you, like in your healing? And I know you never actually put it behind you ever, but you know, is there something in your healing that has helped you with someone that may be struggling, you know, to heal from that or to? even function from that because it takes a long time to really function after that. One of the main things that I would say is that you should share and it's not easy. It's never going to be easy, Mm -hmm. but sharing is so therapeutic because the only way that I can describe it is 
if you don't ever tell anybody, you're carrying this weight around that's invisible to everybody around you. Mm -hmm. And nobody's ever going to know. And, you know, maybe one day you're having a bad day and you snap at somebody or, you know, whatever. But if you don't ever tell anybody, you're carrying this weight all by yourself and nobody knows about it. And so sharing with somebody will help ease some of that weight that you're carrying, even though it's not your burden to carry. Mm -hmm. But it'll help ease that. And for any parents um, that may have lost uh, or for any parents that have lost somebody to suicide, let's say it was your partner, your husband, wife, whatever, um, you know, there's never going to be a right time to tell your child. You know, my mom always uh, and that's one of the first things she said to me was that she didn't know when it was the right time because mm-hmm. I was in school. So she didn't want to tell me because she didn't want to mess up my grades or mm-hmm. I was playing baseball and she didn't want it to affect me on the field. So like there was always something going on in my life and she didn't want to tell me because she didn't want to, you know, impact me negatively. She's trying to protect. Yeah. And, you know, even though I didn't understand it then and I was still really angry with her, I do understand that because she was trying to make the best decision that she possibly Mm -hmm. could. And she didn't know how I was going to take it. And, um, you know, so it wasn't really fair that I was angry with her about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's never going to be a right time. Right. So, you know, that whenever the moment comes that you feel comfortable telling someone, telling your children, telling your spouse, telling your friend, whoever, tell them. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be something going on. Yeah. Life never stops. Mm-hmm. And they deserve to know. Yeah, I mean, it's not something that, you know, if somebody's close with you, the more that you can let them know why you are the way you are, Mm -hmm. the better they can help you. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, there's my fiance is wonderful. My mom's Mm -hmm. wonderful. I have wonderful friends, but there's nothing that any of them can do to fix it, to make it go away. Nothing. But if I need to talk to them about it. I also need to have peace of mind that they're going to listen to what I have to say Mm -hmm. and not just brush it to the side. And so that's important as well. It needs to be important to the person you're talking to. To feel like they don't have anything else going on. They're listening to you. They're dropping everything and listening to you. Yes. And you know, even if they have nothing to say to you at all, just them listening Mm -hmm. is helpful. Because it lets you, for that moment, for five minutes, ten minutes, whatever, get that weight off of your Mm -hmm. chest. And then you might feel better for the rest of the day. You might cry or feel angry again or Mm -hmm. feel whatever again. But it'll help relieve some of that tension that you're feeling that's building up inside of you that you need to get this out. Because if you don't ever get those things out, the same thing is going to happen to you. Because you're going to continue to internalize those things and bury yourself in that hole, mm-hmm. and you may never climb out. Right, and there are a lot, of, um, a lot of people, like you said when you were reading the statistics, that have lost someone to suicide, and then they end up ending their life or having those thoughts, and that's a really dangerous thing, um, and it is a tr- very true statistic. Um, and that also not talking about it can probably make that worse. I mean, those chances worse. Right. I mean, you know, anything that bothers you mentally or emotionally, it doesn't have to be suicide. It doesn't matter what it is. If it 
makes you feel some kind of way, it needs to be shared with somebody yeah. because otherwise you're the only one that knows. Right. And you just, out. yeah, you just carry it around mm -hmm. and it's that invisible weight all over again. You're very, that's very good to say. Um, a very good answer. I've always on that. I've always, I've always heard, or I read somewhere that when I was looking into therapy, um, I read that when most, when a lot of people schedule their therapy appointment, just scheduling the appointments, they feel better and don't even mm -hmm. have to go. Like they, I mean, some people just by scheduling the appointment, they're better. It's that you made that step right. towards helping yourself. And it's a hard step. But yeah. I mean, you know, as humans, we want to preserve ourselves. Mm -hmm. We don't have this, you know, we're not born with something inside of us that says, hey, after 25 years of my life, I want it to end yeah. and I'm going to end it. Right. Right. As humans, we, we have self-preservation ingrained into us in our genetics. Mm -hmm. It's in our DNA to live as long as we possibly can. Mm -hmm. So anything, any steps that you make towards helping yourself make that preservation right. is going to help you feel better in the long run. That's really good. That's really cool. Um, let's see if I had is there anything that I know that you have covered a lot of this too, but what is the main thing that you would like to say um, to anyone that's listening to this that have had thoughts of ending their life or feel like they're close to that or, you know, they've had thoughts about that that won't go away? The best thing that I can say to you is there's always a tomorrow. But if you don't give the opportunity for tomorrow to come, then you never know how it's going to turn out. It could be the best day of your life. It could be it could be another bad day. Mm -hmm. But it, it could also be the day that changes everything. It might give you 24 more hours to change your mindset. It might give you 24 more hours yeah. for somebody to come into your life unexpectedly and change your whole life. Yeah, or help you. Yeah. Exactly. But if you end it, you don't have that opportunity. It's over. Mm -hmm. um, I don't remember the guy that wrote the book, um, but he survived. He wrote a book about surviving jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. And the Golden Gate Bridge is super popular for suicides. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've done a lot of things to try to prevent it, but I'm sure it still happens. I haven't looked at any. Kevin Hines is his name. Okay. Um, but I don't remember the exact story, but the day that he jumped off the bridge, he went and got coffee. He, you know, saw several people uh, on his journey to the bridge and Did he know he was going to jump. Yeah. Off? He knew like the, today mm -hmm. is the day. That was the plan. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, he went, he got his coffee and the person, you know, just, it was just your normal transaction. Here's your coffee. I'll take your money and on you go. And, uh, I think he saw somebody else on the way. And then whenever he got to the bridge, um, some uh, a couple stopped him or one person stopped him or whatever and he thought okay this is finally the person that's going to ask me what's wrong and it's going to change everything i'm not going to jump off this bridge anymore oh, and but yeah he he was seeking somebody to you know talk him off the ledge essentially um well so <laughs> the person approached him and they just wanted him to take their picture oh my gosh so he jumped that day but he survived but Wow. You know, his message was that, you know, it wasn't anybody else's responsibility to make him better. But, you know, what I took from that is 
you never know what what is going through somebody's mind that day. It may be the day that they're planning this, and they might go through their right. whole normal routine. They might go get their coffee. They might go to work. They do. Or do yeah. whatever. Yeah, they do. A lot of people do. Wash their clothes. Yeah. And, um, you know, just you asking, are you okay? Or, you know, are you, you know, whatever it is, just, mm -hmm. you know, inquiring about what's going on with them could change their whole perspective mm -hmm. and it could save their life. Right. That's great. You're very right. Just like that man, you know, you don't want to be the people that are like, can I, you know, cause I'm sure even though he, you know, was doing his regular routine, I'm sure he didn't look happy when they, I mean, he might have, but you know, and I know they're just some random people that see him, you know, but there had to have been something off, you know, about him, which they don't know him, but still, I'm, I'm guessing he wasn't happy-go-lucky walking around, you know, at that moment. Right. And it's hard to ask. It's hard to notice little things like that. It's so hard because life is so busy and we all have so much to do. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look for the – I mean, the signs that we learn about – I mean, I think the only time I ever learned about suicide was when I was, like, in elementary school and, like, got it. Maybe not elementary school, but in school, it's just like a small chapter in the health book or whatever. And it's this very small little thing about it. Right. Like four or five sentences yeah. and then that's it. Someone gives away their stuff. Someone withdraws, call, get help. And I'm like, okay. Um, but it's not always that noticeable. It's not always, not everyone's going to do those. I mean, they might withdraw, but not everyone's going to give their things away. Um they're going to, most of the time you ask if they're okay, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. I'm fine. I'm, you know, or they just don't answer or you don't hear from them and they withdraw, but you don't always notice it. Just like the book says you will, mm -hmm. you know, it's not always. So it doesn't hurt to check on people or your friends and family, especially ones that maybe going through some things, check on them. Even if it's a five minute text, I mean, take or two second text. It takes like two seconds to text somebody. All right. And people say, oh, I'm so busy, I can't text. But it doesn't, you know, if you don't want to call, just text, are you okay? Yeah, and sometimes that's all it takes is just, you know, Kevin Hines just wanted one person to ask him how he was. He wouldn't have done So he could, you know, because it could have been anybody, and he would have broken mm -hmm. down to him. Anybody, a stranger. Wow, that's crazy. But he said he was right. He said it wasn't up to them. Right. It wasn't their responsibility. It was his. Right. But, you know, also, if you put the shoe on the other foot, you know, that just goes to show you one small act mm -hmm. can completely change the outcome for somebody. That's exactly right. And he wasn't really able to make himself feel better at that moment. You know, he needed somebody mm -hmm. at that moment. Because I can't imagine you're, you're not, you know, you're hopeless. You don't, you're not in the mood to cheer yourself up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you, you don't have the energy. Anybody. You've been fighting whatever it is for so long and you're tired. And so, you know, the only way you see any escape from being so tired and being so sad and being hurt so much is just to end it. Right. I think I've got all my questions done for you. I kind of combined some of them. Um, and I know that you had some things you want to end with. So I'll let you end with those. I'm going to go ahead. Um, I'll let you give, you had some resources, right, that you wanted to give? Yes. Um, before, I want that to be at the end. Um, that way, you know, if anyone needs to write down anything mm -hmm. um, or refer back to this episode, if you know anyone, um, you know, 
who relates to this story at all in any way. There's many different ways that someone can relate. Um, whether they're battling depression, they've attempted suicide, um, or they've lost someone to suicide, you know, please share this post with them, um, this podcast with them. Like I said, if you don't know how, ask me. Um, cause I feel like this is very important. It doesn't get talked about much. And this is someone who has experienced it. Um, and is very knowledgeable on it and just totally changed, you know, you know, I'm really proud of you for changing your life. And Thanks. I know we haven't known each other long, but we've been friends through social media. Um, and I'm just so proud of you for, you know, turning your struggle, you know, in, into helping people. And I know that, like, when you said why you wanted to become a doctor, you didn't really mention this as why. But, and I know, like, you had your other reason of helping someone else, like, that you've seen in a wreck. Is that right? Yeah, I saw um, this guy. I was on my way to Memphis and saw this motorcycle wreck. And um, just to avoid telling the whole story, um, <laughs> I thought the guy was fine. I mean, at, at the time, I didn't know anything about, like, I couldn't have done CPR to save anybody mm -hmm. um i might have been able to wrap this guy's wounds but i wouldn't have been able to do anything for him to save his life at that moment uh -huh. um so i mean there was a nurse there or a lady that claimed she was a nurse so i was like hey she knows what's going on she's got this under control you know they asked him his name he said his name so i, was, I made my way to memphis mm -hmm. and um Whenever I got home later, my mom never watches the news, so it was really weird that she had the news on. Like, if there's not a tornado, the news is not going to be on at my <laughs> house. Um, but for whatever reason, she had the news on, and it was talking about the wreck, and I found out that that uh, guy had died uh, on his way to the hospital. Um, and then there was this inner voice. I like to believe that it was God telling me for several days, mm -hmm. um, you know, you need to do more. He didn't, it, it wasn't this message that you need to go be a doctor. It was right. like, you need to go do something to where if you see that again, you can help this person and save them. And my interpretation was go to school to be a doctor because that was the best thing that I knew in that moment. And that was the first thought that came in my head. So here we are. That's amazing. And he's got you this far. He's got me he's this far. He's going to get you through the rest of it. And things might, they're going to be hard and, I can't even imagine how hard and they may not go according to plan. You know, there's no telling where you're going to end up, you know, but he, he's, you did what I, in my, in my beliefs, you did what he wanted you to do. I like to That's think amazing. that it was the most, um, some people might not say it's the most logical explanation because, you know, the whole belief in God is very abstract. You know, people want something tangible. Like if mm -hmm. you can touch it, they'll believe it mm -hmm. but god and religion and you know things of that nature are very abstract because have you ever touched god right i've never touched god right. no. but <laughs> i can tell you that he's done things in my mm -hmm. life where i've known that he's very real mm -hmm. so you know that's my only explanation for it. if right. i'm wrong so be it right. but you know i can have peace with that and then also use that as my guidance to know that i'm on the right path right Right, and it's hard to explain to someone, but you just have to know, you know, when you felt those things, it's hard because you're like, well, I felt it, I know it. But right. Like, but I haven't, but they will. <laughs> I hope, hopefully. I hope so. Hopefully. I hope so. And sometimes it's ignored, but you didn't ignore it. And I just, I, um, 
Thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. I know it was not easy, um, but I know that without 100% that you, you know, did it to help people. And you're going to be an amazing doctor. Uh, thank you. <laughs> amazing. And the reason behind it is wonderful. And your passion for this. I mean, when I lost my friend, I messaged you and you were there for me, you know, and without a doubt. And um, you're just a really kind person and compassionate and don't even lose that when you become a doctor. <laughs> uh, I had lunch with my mentor a few weeks ago, and um, you know he through medical education there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and that's mm -hmm. what he would um, you know tell his students, tell his residents, whatever, because um, he's in Ethiopia now. Or okay. well, he came back to visit for a little bit, but he permanently or not permanently, but moved to Ethiopia for a mm -hmm. while. Um, so semi-permanent or permanent, but his wife is brilliant as well. Um, I think she has a background in social work or something. I hate that I can't remember. So if, if Dr. Love, if you ever listen to this, I apologize. I do listen to what you say and you know that I listen, but um, she said there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but medical, that tunnel hurts you because it's so hard. And, um, you know, there's this expectation from people that go through this to be have this tough shell and nothing bothers them. Mm -hmm. um, but it changes you. Uh, and I can already tell in just this short time that I'm different from what I was in August of last year. Wow. And I like to think um, different in a better way. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, that is usually one of those things that get lo gets lost because in through this tunnel, you become calloused and you become, um, you know, so focused on, you know, what insurance companies say or what your right. attendings say or what administration says that you end up losing sight of what you started for in the first place. And, right. you know, I have those same hopes for myself. I, I don't see myself changing in that manner because I think that my whole purpose for this is, you know, going to you know, keep me headed in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that it will never happen. I'm sure there are days whenever I oh, feel yeah. that burnout and I, you know, may that treat somebody anybody. less than how, what my standard is for treating somebody. Right. But, you know, at the end of the day, I just want to make sure that I provide the best possible care I can to everybody that I encounter. Right. That's great. I love that. And I think you'll keep that and just make sure, you know, sharing your story helps and just keep in the back of your mind, you know, seeing that man on the side of the road um, and everything that you went through to get here. You've done so good. And you started this a little later in life, right? How old were you when you started medical school? Well, I guess when you decided you want to be a doctor. I was 25. Oh, yeah. It's not like you knew, you know, you never knew that until you were 25. So it's not like you knew when you were young or when you were a little oh, boy. Oh, no. Yeah. No, back then I would have never, I mean, even whenever I was 24, if somebody would have told me such a thing, I would have thought they were crazy because, right. like, I had no desire to pursue this. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was but nothing cool, in though, me. You're mature now and you, you know, Maybe you couldn't have handled it then for some reason. I couldn't have. I mean, it's, it's very tough. Like, it's not one of those things that's for everybody. And that's oh, fine. No, like, we need that. a variety of people because right. that's what makes the world function. Exactly. But if I would have tried to do this at 22 or 23 or 20, you know, whatever, there's no way I could have handled right. this. It happened. 
I know I couldn't handle it, period. So <laughs> thank you for being on here um, and sharing your story. Um, very personal. And you're going to give a few things, but um, I would, yeah, you go ahead and tell it. I'll tell you something else after this. I'm not going to say it on here because <laughs> um, it's kind of personal. But you tell your thing that you were wanting to say um, to end it. So I just wanted to share some resources. Some are um, specific to Tennessee and then some are um, more nationwide. Um, so there is the Tennessee crisis text line. Um, I don't know how introverted everybody else is, but I'm very introverted. Um, so this is kind of helpful for those people. And you can text TN to 741741. And then you can also call the Tennessee statewide crisis line, which is 855 274-7471 and then you can also get on tsp tspn.org and there are tons of resources on there and that's specific to tennessee um and then there's the national suicide prevention lifeline which i think everybody's familiar with that one but that one is 1-800-273-8255 and there's a veterans crisis line that can also be used through that same number but you just press one after you dial the number and there's also veteranscrisisline.net, and you can use a crisis chat that way. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much for sharing those resources. And if you need to, like, rewind this part or anything like that to write those down, you never know when you'll need them. If something happens with somebody you know or someone calls you in a, in a bad moment, you know, you might need to call those number for them, or you may need them yourself. So, you can always rewind that little part where he tells those and write that information down or if you're needing that yourself right now. Um, and thank you so much, Brent, for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you. You did so great. <laughs> um, and yeah, there was a lot more to you than I thought. Huh? <laughs> That's awesome though. It's so nice to get to know people that, you know, you never expect, you know, have the life that they did. And I can't wait to see, what else you do in your life and where life takes you. <laughs> Hopefully many more places. It will. You're already going to Barbados. That's a good start. <laughs> Very exciting. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, and God, just make sure you share the post and thank you for listening.